0: <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor.
1: Well, thank you and good evening. Welcome to the show. Tonight, The Adventures of Sam Spade, a radio series based loosely on the private detective character Sam Spade, created by writer Dashiell Hammett for The Maltese Falcon*, All the networks aired the show. The show ran for 13 episodes on ABC in 46, 157 episodes on CBS in 1946 through to 1949, and finally for 51 episodes on NBC, 1949 to 1951. So let's hear tonight's episode, The Bed Dog Caper.
2: The National Broadcasting Company
3: presents The Adventures of Sam Spade Detective.
4: Sam Spade Detective Agency. Me,
3: sweetheart.
4: Sam! Would you mind telling me where you are? Not at all,
3: Effie. Not at all. Let's see. Uh, I'm at the Ilrig, Danarab, Etile tile Grog.
4: I don't understand it, Sam, but I think I caught the word grog. Oh,
3: you're shrewd, Effie. You see, I'm on the inside, and the lettering is printed on the outside. Uh, now, if you'll wait, I'll go outside and read it the right way, and then come inside and Never t- mind.
4: I've already guessed. You're at Georgia's elite bar and grill. Trapped. Say. After me, you promised me you wouldn't. I, uh, me? I promised? Me? You did, Sam. You promised faithfully to stay away from bars. You know how hard television is on your eyes? Have you got your glasses?
3: One in each hand. Fill them up, George.
4: Oh, Sam, I heard that. What will people think?
3: Ah, they'll never know, Effie. I always drink here under another name.
4: Oh! Just a
3: little of the hair of the dog that bit me, Effie, but don't worry about me. Although it's true I have been dogging it and have been hounded from tree to tree, I am frisky as ever and will be in to unleash my canine chronicle, namely, The Dog Bed Caper, or He Who Lies Down with Dogs Gets Up with Murder, or, condensed for easy reading,
4: ruff, <laughs>
5: For NBC,
3: William Spear, radio's outstanding producer, director of mystery and crime drama, brings you the greatest private detective of them all in The Adventures of Sam Spade. Effie!
4: Here I am, Sam.
3: Here I am, Sam. Effie, did you ever write poetry in school?
4: Well, well, I was known as Emily Dickinson of Central High. I
3: thought you had a touch of internal rhyme scheme there. <laughs>
4: I doodled a little poem about you today.
3: Really? Well, re-doodle.
4: There was a detective named Spade with oodles of brains in his haid.
3: Clever, clever.
4: But when he took up drinking, he forgot about thinking. Now
3: give me the punchline.
4: And Effie has stayed quite unpaid.
3: <coughs> well. <coughs> A little rough, but cute. Did
4: you get the idea, Sam?
3: Never could make any sense out of poetry. Ready? It's
4: getting close to Christmas, Sam, and pencil I... Pencil point. i use my last pencil, and I don't really have enough money to Please, buy it. Please,
3: Effie, I have no head for figures.
4: All right. I give up.
3: From Samuel Spade, license number 137596. Subject, the dog bed caper.
4: Oh, Sam, I hope this is going to be all about dogs. I belong to the tail waggers, you know. Yeah, And yeah. I've read all the books by Jack Lundley. Yeah, yeah, and Albert yeah, 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 I just think... Go, like, oh. Effie.
3: Strangely enough, you will not meet a single dog in this story. Actually, this narrative has little indeed to do with our four-footed friends or their beds. And I'd change the title now, except that it's already gone out for publicity. Dear Dundee, It all started with a phone call to my secretary, Miss Effie Perrine, a doll, requesting my inimitable services at the investment counseling firm of Cameron Incorporated. Clearing everything off my desk, two shoes with feet in them, my own, I went over. The firm of Cameron Incorporated was obviously not for the pushcart set. It was plush, ankle-deep rugs, imported drapes, and the receptionist. She had a plushness all of her own. I said hello in my plushiest voice, and she liked it. She said so.
6: Oh, I like the way you said that. Say it again. Life
3: is too short to go back, even for a moment. The past is a dead thing, the present dying, only the future alive and vibrant. However... Hello.
6: Is there something?
3: <laughs> there is. Uh, could I ask a question?
6: Why not?
3: I will rephrase the question. Uh, what time do you stop working this evening?
6: Around six.
3: Care to have... Why not? There's a little bar around the corner, okay? Why not? Why not indeed. Bring your own money? Well, come anyway. Your name? The less. Mine, Sam Spade. Who's Mr. Briggs? He called
6: Major me. Major Briggs. Why, he's our chief accountant. I just
3: happened to have my door open. Did
7: I hear someone inquiring about me? This
6: is Mr. Spade, Major Briggs.
7: How do you do, Major? Uh, it's a pleasure to meet you in person, Mr. Spade. I'm the man who called you, you know. I'm grateful, sir. Now, what is it I can do for you and Mr. Cameron? Oh, it's not for me that I called. I haven't to worry in the world. And it's Miss Cameron. Oh. Old Cameron's been dead for many years now. I see. Uh, whatever she wants, Mr. Spade, do a good job. We are all counting on you. Uh, will you please announce Mr. Spade, Miss Roberts?
6: Certainly, Major. Uh, if
7: you'd excuse me. Nice to have met you,
8: Major.
6: Miss Cameron? Yes. Mr. Spade's here. Send him in, please. You're on, Sam. Have fun.
3: Think I might?
6: Why not? <laughs>
3: That girl had the most beautiful double entendre in town. Well, to get on, Adela Cameron was a career woman, around 29, although the tailored suit made fine detective work difficult. No makeup, severe hairdo, and in spite of all this, chic. In fact, as we shook hands in a most businesslike manner, I had the feeling that something warm might well spring up between us. Something like a warm mutual dislike, maybe. But
8: something. Most men simply cannot be told anything in confidence. They gossip. That's a switch. I don't appreciate your humor, Mr. Spade. I accept your apology. I will tolerate you because of your reputation. All right. I'm going to give you a very difficult job to do. Uh, Miss Cameron. What is it, Major? I'm
7: sorry to interrupt you, but Courtney Pierce is on the phone. And...
8: Mr. Spade, this is Major Briggs, our chief accountant. We've already met.
7: Uh, Mr. Spade. Now, Adela, Pierce wants us to unload his short-term governments and buy American cattle. He's dividend crazy. AMCAT's declaring one in January, and he wants it. Well, let him do it. Well, I just want to protect your interests. You know what will happen to AMCAT after February. They'll drop ten points, and he'll blame us. I went through this with your father when you and Greg were...
8: That's right, Major. Well, tell him we advise against it. But if he persists, ask him for a release in writing.
7: That's what I thought you'd do. That's the way your father would have handled it. I just want to protect your interests, my dear, that's
8: all. I know, Major, I know. I just want to protect your interests. Well, don't worry about us. You know, we're not children anymore.
7: All right, my dear.
3: Where were we? Oh, you were giving me a difficult job.
8: Oh, yes. Here is the business address of Mr. I.J. Barco. He's a wealthy manufacturer, a client of ours. Mm. I want you to find out everything about him, especially anything unsavory.
3: Sorry, I don't do divorce or blackmail
8: cases. Mr. Spade, this is not a divorce investigation. All
3: right, what is it then?
8: Why do we want a client shadowed, Mm. I believe is the expression? That's it? Because we believe he is investing money through us for some racketeers. If that were true, we would, of course, have to drop him. But we don't want to lose his business just on suspicion. I see. Find out anything you can about him. I'll give you $50 a day in expenses, one week guarantee. Will you consider the job?
3: I have considered and taken the job. By the time I'd reached the door, she had already forgotten me and was hard at work on some papers. Outside, I planned to dally a few moments and idle chit-chat with Celeste. But before I had the chance, I was accosted by a husky young chap whom I'm afraid was a Princeton man. What were you talking about in there, Spade? Oh, you have the advantage, sir. Who are you? Gregory Cameron. Now, come on. What was Adela telling you? Well, if you step to one side, you can walk around me and ask her. Look, don't pull that cagey private detective routine on me. I pack a little weight myself. Well, pack it somewhere else, sonny.
5: I asked you a question. I
3: expect an answer. There's your answer. Any more questions? He didn't feel much like talking then, and I was so irritated I walked out without saying goodbye to Celeste. When I reached the street, the white-haired old gentleman, Major Briggs, hurried out behind me. Uh, Mr. Spade, please don't
7: too badly of that boy. I've known him from the cradle. He's in a difficult emotional state
3: at the moment. Yes, sure, sure, sure. As far as I'm concerned, Major, it never happened.
7: Uh, you're a kind man, Mr. Spade. I could tell that when I first saw you. You're just the sort of man Miss Cameron needs.
3: Well, I hadn't looked at it that way.
7: If you require anything, don't hesitate to ask me. I've been with this company 40 years before those two children in there were born, and I know how difficult life can be at times. I just want things to go well for
3: me. I'll do my little part, Major. Uh,
7: bless you, son.
3: Bless you. I started to work. The card Adela Cameron had given me revealed that my quarry, Mr. I.J. Barco, was of all things a manufacturer of dog beds. I sat down on a hydrant to think this over and then followed the scent of horse meat on over to his factory on South Dolores. It was built in the shape of a large doghouse, and outside stood a billboard with the message, A survey of independent dog tracks, kennels, and canine core proves that dogs choose Barco beds two to one. I had to get a look at Barco himself, and so ruffling up the hair on the back of my neck, I trotted into the building, sniffing and wagging my tail in a very friendly manner. It was very easy to see, Mr. Barco, after I lied a little about my connections. What was that name again? Senor Don Jose Martinez Sada Morales, but you may call me Sam. And you represent a group of
2: retail outlets in South America. Oh, I do indeed. We have our eye on your dog beds, Mr. Barco. Well, now, let's take a look at our catalog here. Now, say you had a great day and you'd want something regal like this uh, Louis XIV. Ever see a more beautiful bed? Well, not lately, but Mr. Barkle. Down, uh, boy, down. <clears throat> now, here's a number that's very big this season with English Bulldogs. A Sheraton, natural wood finish. Lovely, huh? Eh? Arriba. And, of course, if it's an Irish Terrier, here's a purely gag present for his sense of humor. A, a Murphy, Murphy bed. bed. Get it, Sam? Irish Terrier? See, <laughs> see. <Si, si. laughs> well, of course, we, would, we wouldn't ask a dog to sleep in a Murphy oh, bed. Mr. Barkle, I'm afraid I don't see anything here I like. What's this? Do I understand you, sir? You are refusing this small speck of comfort to the one unselfish friend that man can have in this selfish world? Well, I'm not
3: refusing anything. I just don't the to... The unselfish
2: friend who, if fortune drives you forth an outcast into the world, homeless, will ask no higher privilege than to be at your side to guard against danger. Well, Mr. Barker. Faithful unto death, there by your graveside will be found the noble dog. My his head son? between his paws, his eyes sad but watchful. Faithful!
3: We shook paws, and I felt his nose to be sure it was cold. It was, and I left. I rented a car and took up a station outside the Barco factory. About four o'clock, he hurried out, jumped into a long, low vehicle shaped like a dachshund, and mushed off. I followed. An hour later, I was phoning my first report to Adela Cameron's secretary, Celeste
6: went to the city hall.
3: What'd he do there, Mr. Spade? License Bureau. Marriage, not dog. Really? Where'd
6: he go then?
3: Grocery store, where he bought one bottle of olives, one bottle of vermouth, and one bottle gin. I wonder what he's going to make. What recipe is that? Well, now he's in an apartment house on Postry, just across from the drugstore I'm in, and judging from the groceries, intends to stay a while. He has laid in provision.
6: Uh-huh. Well, I guess that's all we wanted to know. What? Uh, Miss Cameron just told me to call you off the case. You'll still get your guarantee, though. Major Briggs will send you a check. Well, that
3: doesn't make sense.
6: Sam orders his
3: order. All right, all right. What about tonight?
6: I'm afraid not. Some other time.
3: You mean... You mean it's all over? The half-daring, half-shy kisses on the Oakland ferry? The the warm, passionate spring nights at Fisherman's Wharf eating abalone? The... Hello? Well. Puzzled as who wouldn't be, I walked slowly back to my car. But before I had a chance to get in, I saw I.J. Barco hurry out of his apartment house. But he didn't enter his car. He came right for me.
2: Spade! Spade! Just a minute, Spade. <laughs> so
3: sorry. My name is Don Jose Martinez out of Morales yet. Don't kid me, Spade. I'm not as stupid as I acted today.
2: Huh. Look, I know why Adela Cameron is following me and you don't. And you'll never find out any more than the other four detectives did. I was the fifth choice? What? I shall speak with my agent about this. I'm going to tell her in person that this foolishness has to stop. If it doesn't, she'll live to regret it. One more thing. I presume you're going to follow me. Well, I'm turning right on market and heading out to 1217 Ridgewood Place. You shouldn't have any trouble.
3: And with that, he spun on one heel and trotted to his car. He took off, but when I went to my car, it wouldn't turn over. And when I lifted the hood, I found out why. All my spark plugs were gone. I picked up a new set at a service station, looked up Adela Cameron's address in the phone book. It was 1217 Ridgewood Place. And a good half hour later, I got there. Barco's car was out in front. No one answered the door, but it was open. Adela Cameron was a crumpled heap on the living room sofa.
6: Oh, Sam. Sam, help me, please. All right, all
3: right, Miss Cameron. Let me look at you. You hurt?
6: No no, I'm all right. It's, it's
3: him. Where? The bar. I hurried into the bar and was met with a strong odor of scotch. A bottle of it had been broken. And holding the neck of the bottle in one hand was I, J. Barco. He was on the floor. His hands slowly opened. The glass rolled out. And he died. You are listening to the weekly adventure of radio's most famous detective, Sam Spade. And now back to the Dog Bed Caper, tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. It took three bullets in the chest to finish off I.J. Barco. He'd apparently been standing there pouring a drink. Barco broke the bottle as he fell. I couldn't find any other signs of violence or any gun, so I went back to Adela Cameron. She was beginning to calm down.
8: I don't know who did it. I just don't know. Well, it
3: couldn't have happened more than a minute ago, and you were in the house, weren't you? No.
8: No, after I left my office, I... I stopped in the store for some things, then came home. When I was driving down Ridgewood, I heard some sounds. And you
3: thought they were a car backfiring. How did you know? I've heard this script before.
8: Don't you dare accuse me of killing that man.
3: It's not what I think that counts, but what the police accuse you of.
8: Sam, I heard those sounds. I came in the house when I went into the bar.
3: You didn't notice Barco's car out in front?
8: Oh, I suppose I did. I don't know. I I don't remember. Uh Uh-huh. Who are you calling?
3: Homicide.
8: Sam, Sam, wait a minute. Just a minute, please. Wait for what? I I want to tell you some things. All
3: right. All right. Go on. I kind of get the feeling I was hired to put the finger on the dog's best friend.
8: That's not the way it was. The last thing in the world I wanted was for him to be killed. Murdered, I mean.
3: All right, what did you want?
8: I'll tell you the truth. Why, I really had you watching, Barco.
3: I'd be curious.
8: We handled his investment account. My brother, Gregory... We
3: ran into each other.
8: I heard. Well, Greg took $150,000 of Barco's money and invested it without my knowledge, in the television company. I hear
3: that medium's making money.
8: But it turned out this company was just a front for some men who wanted to build a gambling syndicate up north.
3: You mean your brother didn't know that?
8: He knew, but there was supposed to be big money in it. He was going to give Barco a good profit and take the rest for himself.
3: And Barco found out and threatened suit or something?
8: He never would have known, but the deal fell through and the gambler said the money was gone. Then he asked about the investment. What could Gregory and I tell him? What did you? Unfortunately, the truth. We said we'd make up the money with interest, but he only gave us 90 days. We couldn't get it by then.
3: So you didn't shoot him. Your brother did, eh? No,
8: Sam. No, he couldn't have. I know Greg. He'd have more sense. In
3: my brief meeting with him, I didn't think he had any sense. Just one more thing before I call the Sam, police.
8: Sam, don't call them. Help me get him out of here. Somewhere. No dice. Oh, Sam, Sam. Sam, don't let my whole
3: life. Be stop worried. it, stop it. You set me on Barco to find some blackmailing material, yes? Yes. And then why did you suddenly call me off the job tonight? I didn't. Your secretary said you did.
6: I didn't. I didn't tell her anything of the sort.
3: Can I have that phone now? So I called you, Dundee. Before you arrived, I looked through Barco's pockets for something to do and came up with a picture of him and a girl taken outside a marriage chapel in Las Vegas. The girl was Celeste. Cameron Incorporated's plushy secretary, several years younger and two shades less voluptuous. Her address, 627 Finley, was supplied by a now hysterical Adela Cameron. No one answered Celeste's door, but I heard a shower going inside, so I took the liberty of entering. Persona non grata. Is there somebody out there? There is. Who is it? Come out and see. Oh, no false moves. Now, keep that towel right where it is. <laughs> what you... Am I doing here detective work? And I must say I've already found out a
6: great deal. Oh, Sam, I'll admit I did express some interest in you. But if you recall, I told you not tonight. It's my only night off. And please leave. I don't want any difficult things.
3: All right, we knock off the cute touches and get down to business. You were married to I.J. Barco, right or wrong?
6: Wrong. Wrong,
3: it's right. You were married in Las Vegas at the chapel of the Flamingo Hotel. Uh-uh, the towel.
6: I was only married one day. My parents had it annulled. I was underage.
3: Well, you don't have to worry about him anymore. He's dead. No. Shot three times at close range. Oh, In Adela Cameron's house. Not by you, of course. Although, on the other hand, as you would say, why not?
6: I didn't do it, Sam.
3: Suppose you spill.
6: He wanted me to marry him again.
3: Why? Well, well, I... I know all about the money the Cameron's misused.
6: He found out Greg and I were in love.
3: I should have known.
6: He said he'd forget about the entire 150000 if I'd marry him for six years.
3: 25000 a year. That's a good price. How
6: can you talk like that?
3: Practice, I guess. So, Gregory had another good reason for killing
6: him. He didn't, Sam. I know he didn't.
3: Anything that would stand up in court?
6: I don't think so.
3: Suppose we say you called me off Barco's tail so Gregory could get at
6: it. I didn't. I called you off because I was supposed to meet I.J.'s apartment tonight and give him his answer. I couldn't do it with you there.
3: Flimsy, flimsy, but it might hold.
6: It's the truth. I was going to see him, but I changed my mind.
3: Any particular reason?
6: Well, You saw him. Would he be the kind of man I'd marry? Well, you
3: did once. Well, it looks bad for Greg. Because someone at Cameron Incorporated knew Barco was going to be at Adela's house.
6: Emily, do me a favor. Maybe. Give me an hour. Then I'll go wherever you want. I'll tell you anything you want to know. Why an hour? Because if I'm going to live with myself, there's something I have to do. Well? Please, Sam. If you do, I'll give you some information you might want. For example? There was someone at Cameron Incorporated who knew that Barker was going to Adela's house. (laughs)
3: She must have known I was going to wait outside and tailor, but she didn't... ...because without once looking over her shoulder, she emerged from her apartment house... ...slithered into her car, and led me directly down to the railroad station. She met a man in the waiting room, threw her arms around him... ...whispered something in his ear, and they hurried out to track seven. There was a transcontinental train getting up steam. She kissed him, and he climbed quickly up into a pullman named Aurora Falls. And almost as quickly, I climbed in the other end. We met in the middle... What are you doing here? I came to take you off the train, Greg, before you made a big big mistake and left town. Now, look here, Let's not go through the intercollegiate tough talk again. Are you coming off or am I going to carry you off? You're going to carry me off? And I did. Celeste was gone and he revived when he hit the cool air. I let him out of the station as unobtrusively as possible. Then we went down a side street to where my car was parked. That's where he began to show signs of life. Spade, look, you're all wrong. Guy's got a right to leave town when he wants to. I'm gonna sue you from here to the city hall and back. Shut up and get in the car. Celeste just told me about Barco. You don't think I did that, do you? As I get it, you and Celeste were leaving town together, right? Yes, yeah, she told me to go on and she'd come later. That was unwise of both of you. Come on, get in. Spade, I didn't kill Barco. Nobody said you did. Now, if you kindly get in the car and give me an address I want, and you know... We'll go see who did kill I.J. Barco. He gave me the address I wanted and said I was crazy. I told him why I wasn't, and he began to see the reason of it. Never have I gone to pick up a murderer with more distaste. When we knocked at the door, I had a gun in my hand. But it wasn't necessary.
7: Oh, come in, Mr. Spade. I knew you'd be along sooner or
3: later. I don't like what I have to do, Major.
7: Major, it can't
3: be true. It just can't be.
7: Uh, Come in, Gregory, my boy. Come in. A little Madeira first before we start to
3: talk. Madeira? How can you talk about wine when a man's accusing you of murder? I
7: don't think it's so unreasonable, Greg. After all, I did kill the unfortunate Mr. Barco. And this might be the last Madeira I shall ever have. Uh, Mr.
3: Spade. Thank you, sir. Uh, Greg, I don't want any wine. Spadey's out of his mind, and so are you. I'm afraid
7: not, Gregory. Oh, that was a vintage 1900 Madeira you wasted, Greg. Twice as old as you. Stop it, stop it. I'm sorry about what happened, Greg. I would have spared you and your sister this unhappiness if I could have.
3: But destiny was against us all. You knew he was going to Miss Cameron's house, didn't you?
7: Yes. Just before I left for the bank with the weekly deposit, he called for Miss Cameron, and I took the call. I told him she was gone, and he said he was going to her house. It was to be an ultimatum, the money in 24 hours or exposure. But you you didn't have to uh, kill him? Certainly not. It was a crime of passion. I take the weekly deposit to the bank every Friday, and I always carry a gun. Silly me, carrying a gun. Never had to use it, but the bonding company requires I carry it. Well, I went directly from the bank to Miss Cameron's house. I wanted to help her face Barco. Was she there? Uh, Oh, no, Mr. Spade. She'd apparently stopped downtown to do some shopping. So I faced Barco alone. I asked him point blank to give these young people more time, but he just laughed at me. He said the only time they'd get would be in jail, so... It happened. Well, I hadn't intended to, but I became angry. Suddenly found the gun in my hand, and the thought crossed my mind... My life is just about over, and yours, Greg, is just beginning. It was easier to pull the trigger than I would have realized. Oh, Lord. Uh, More Madeira,
3: Mr. Spade? Thank you, Major, but no.
7: Well, allow me to present the bottle to you as a gift. I'll get my hat and coat. Greg, my boy, I'm sorry. You're sorry? Major,
3: I wish I'd never been born... Period. End of report.
4: Oh, Sam. I wish I hadn't either.
3: Hadn't what?
4: Been born. That poor, poor man.
3: Yeah, sour racket.
4: It is, it is. And poor Gregory. He'll have to go to jail for... for... Something, too.
3: He will, yes. He will. How about typing it up?
4: I hate to, but I guess it's my duty. Well, here it is, Sam.
3: Hmm. Now, let me see. Uh Uh-huh. Murder is all in place. Gunshots indicated. Dundee's grammar edited. My astuteness emphasized. <laughs> yeah, you've learned your job well, Effie.
4: Oh, I'm glad you're pleased, Sam.
3: Uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What's this? P.S. Dundee. Hands off Celeste Roberts. She's mine. Effie? What's the meaning of that?
4: Well. Well, you are going back to see her, aren't you? After the way she. Threw herself at you? No.
3: Do you think she's my type of woman?
4: Oh, Sam. I think every woman's your type. Every woman but me.
3: Now, Effie, come here. Mm. Would I have you working in this office if you weren't my type? guess not. Well, then let that thought be your comfort. The world can have all the Celeste Roberts it wants. As far as... Oh, I can't go through
4: with it. You see? Sam, you can have her if you want to. But in the end, I know you'll come back to me.
3: I never doubted it once.
4: Oh, Sam. You don't know how much you mean to me.
3: Yes, I do, Effie. Three weeks back salary.
4: Oh, you. Uh-uh-uh-uh.
3: Good night, Sam.
5: <laughs> Good night, sweetheart. <laughs>
3: The Adventures of Sam Spade are produced, edited, and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade was played by Stephen Dunn. Lorene Tuttle is Effie. Script for tonight's adventure by John Michael Hayes and Dick Powell. Musical scoring by Lud Gluskin, conducted by Robert Armbruster. Join us again next week, same time, for another adventure with Sam Spade. Hear the magnificent Montague, then visit Duffy's Tavern on NBC.
1: Stay tuned for Suspense Theatre on Theatre of the Mind. You're listening to Theatre of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, 7.40 a.m. and 96.7 f.m. in downtown Toronto. And now, Suspense Theatre and The Kettler Method.
9: Network takes pleasure in bringing you Suspense. Parade of Outstanding Thrillers, produced by William Spear and scored by Bernard Herrmann. The notable melodramas from stage and screen, fiction and radio, presented each week to bring you to the edge of your chair, to keep you in suspense. night story deals with a remote and dangerous house and a terrifying thing that happened there because the rain went on for days and days. It deals with a surgeon and a girl, a giant and a young man who took a long chance. And over them all, the moan of the night wind and the ceaseless roar of the storm. For your suspenseful listening, we invite you to learn about... method Four days of rain have been ceaseless teeming, pouring with a steady relentless rhythm. Four solid days the fields around Culston had been turned into huge puddles that reflected the heavy swollen sky and Dr. Morrissey was stirred by a deep anxiety. He stood beside a window in his sanitarium, which rose high on a lonely hill a few miles from the little town of Colston, and stared into the jagged, spraying screen of rain. It was just three o'clock. Three o'clock of an afternoon he would long remember. He was on the point of sending for Caffrey, the ward attendant, when the door opened, and Caffrey came in, pale, Dr. Morrissey. Is there anything
2: wrong, Caffrey? I don't know. There's a feeling down in the ward. Feeling? This rain's going on too long. The patient's getting uneasy. They're bound to, ain't they? If a guy with good nerves, he gets jumpy. I can imagine what it does to theirs. Seem to be affecting anyone in particular. Number five's been carrying on. Kettler? Yeah. I brought him up. Nurse Carter's waiting with him out in the hall. Bad as that? He's upsetting the others. Keeps asking for some guy named Benham. Oh,
3: that's the man he killed.
2: I didn't know he was homicidal. Oh, it was an accident. He was performing a brain surgery on Benham
3: and... Uh... Him? Oh, Kettler was a very important surgeon, Caffrey. Didn't you know that? He keeps saying so, but... It's, it's perfectly true. Very successful, Dr. Kettler was. Until he perfected an operative procedure that he called the Kettler Method. A new process of brain operation. Spent most of his life on it and... Well, when he tried it for the first time on this young lad, Benham and... Benham died on the table. It, it unbalanced his mind.
2: I've got to go back down there now. I think you'd better wait while I talk with Ketler. Okay, I'll bring him in, but don't make it long. I don't like the feel of things around here. Yes, Miss Carter.
10: Yes, we're coming.
2: You can bring him in now.
10: Come along, Doctor Morrissey wants to see you.
2: Just see now. Just Come in, Ketler. I'd like to ask Doctor Morrissey a question. I'd like to ask him a question. Yes, Dr. Kettler. I should like to ask him where Laird Benham is. I know he'll never tell me. But I will,
3: Kettler. Laird Benham is buried somewhere out there under the rain. He is at peace,
2: Kettler. Can't you forget about him? Just forget. You'd all like me to forget about him, wouldn't you? Then you could keep him hidden away forever, couldn't you? Benham is dead, Kettler. You know that. Benham died. He did not. He's alive. He was alive when you and the rest of the envious medical profession stole him from the operating table, kidnapped him with my bandages still round his head. You were determined to make the Kettler method seem a failure, weren't you? Weren't you?
10: Easy, easy now.
2: Believe me, Kettler. I, I think I Benham know where died. he is now, Doctor Morrissey. He's in the cellar under the ward downstairs, isn't he? Isn't he? Kettler. Let me see it. Ben, ben.
3: Oh, You'd better take him down, Cadbury.
2: All right. Come along now, sir. I'll take him, nurse. You won't show him to me. Even though it would make me well again. My cellars are empty, Kettler. Believe me, Benham isn't there. You sit there in power and order me away. Come on, Kettler. There's something I have to say. I've always been above violence, Dr. Morrissey. But the time comes when there's no other course. This is a warning, doctor. A warning. And the joke is that you won't heed it. Come on with you. You won't heed it now. But you'll remember it. And soon you'll remember it. Tables turn, Dr. Morrissey. Tables turn.
0: (laughs) Poor thing.
5: Ah, I'm afraid I'm failing with him. Failing completely.
10: But you're not. It takes time to put a man back together.
5: Oh, it's taken me too
3: long with Kettler. I'm beginning to be afraid.
10: If you'll pardon me, Doctor. Yes? I do think you're making a mistake. With him? No, with yourself. You haven't had a real vacation in three years, Dr. Morrissey. Oh,
3: you think I'm wearing a bit thin just now, don't you? And you're right. But I really can't leave my patients in anyone else's hands. Not now, at any rate. No, I'll have
2: to make the best
10: of it. But you need relaxation, don't I
3: know, I know. Well, I hope to soothe my ragged nerve somewhat over this weekend. Oh? I have some friends coming down from the city Friday night. Leslie and Claire Winton. Young married couple, newlyweds, And I'm just going to relax with them and forget everything until Monday morning.
10: You must, Doctor. You do need it so badly. Oh, by the way, Doctor. Yes? I slipped some of uh, those new sample bandages into your coat pocket. Well,
3: thanks, thanks. I'll have a look at them.
10: I think they're quite good. The salesman said that...
5: Yes, Nurse. What is it?
10: Did, did you hear something?
5: Thunder, wasn't it?
10: Something else beside thunder... I thought it.
5: Well, I didn't hear it.
10: <laughs> My nerves must be getting the best of me. Perhaps it's a case of nurse, heal thyself, eh? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm not the only one who needs a rest. You know, it might be a very good idea if we both...
10: <gasps> Dr. Morrissey. I heard that. What is it?
3: It's coming from the ward. Sounds like... That was a shot, nurse. You get on the phone. Call the police at Colston. Hello?
10: Hello? Hello?
5: Keep at it. Keep at it. Hello? Someone's trying to get in from the hall. Dr. Morrissey! Dr. Morrissey! It's Caffrey. Just a moment.
2: Caffrey! Caffrey, what is it? Uh, they ganged up on me. All of them are coming up the stairs. Kittler, clear out of here. Oh.
10: Oh.
7: Steady nurse.
10: He's dead, isn't he? Isn't he?
5: Yes. <laughs> Dr. Morrissey. Kitler, remember my warning. Remember it, Doctor. Tables turn, Dr. Morrissey. Tables turn. <laughs>
9: For three more days, Friday night came, black, wet and glistening. The eight fifteen express groaned into Colston Station, bringing Leslie and Claire Wenton out from the city with their weekend luggage. <laughs>
10: Dr. Morrissey sending his car for us, Leslie?
5: Yes, Claire. The chauffeur was supposed to drive us over to the sanitarium to pick up the dock, and then we're all going over to his house together.
10: I don't see any car, do you?
5: I don't see anything but water. Maybe we're rowing over in a
10: skiff. (laughs) Oh. Oh, I hate that sound. Like somebody's in agony.
5: I think you're a little depressed, dear.
10: Well, I shouldn't be surprised. My head's still aching dreadfully.
5: Poor lover. How long's that been going on now?
10: Almost a week. It, it frightens me.
5: I don't think it's anything serious.
10: Waiting in the rain like this doesn't do it any good, I'm sure.
5: I don't understand. Doc's usually so punctual, right on the dot. You don't suppose we ought to call the sanitarium... You and... people or Dr. Morrissey, yes? Well, uh, yes, yes, we're the Wintons. Doc sent you to pick us up?
9: I, Cato, Dr. Morrissey's chauffeur, you got luggage?
10: Um, yes. Here it is.
5: I take. You follow me to car. Come. Uh, We're coming. Leslie? Yes? He's,
10: He's tremendous, isn't he? He must be six and a half feet tall.
5: I'm over six myself, darling. He's nearer eight. That's a giant. Get those shoulders. He could snap me in two like a matchstick.
10: Well, I I hope he likes us.
5: So do I, light of my life. Ah, waiting. You come, please. But I really don't think he does. Mm-hmm. Coming.
9: The car lurched and hurtled over the rain-soaked roads, tearing wildly through the dark and careening up the hillside toward the stark walls of the sanitarium. It skidded to a standstill in front of the main entrance, and cold, black Cato led them inside. The brightly lit corridors were deserted, silent, like hallways in a nightmare. Claire was aware of her headache growing steadily worse as Cato opened the double doors and ushered them into the waiting room. You'll tell
5: Dr. Morrissey we're here, huh? Doctor, be with you soon. You do not go away. Yes, uh, thanks.
10: I hope we're not staying in here very long.
5: It isn't very cheery, is it?
10: I don't like places like this. I suppose it's very foolish of me, but... I always feel as if I'm in some sort of danger.
5: That's the headache again. Everything seems worse than it really is when you're not feeling well. Don't you always find... Leslie. Yeah. Listen. What is it? Somebody's knocking. Just a moment. Gracias, adios.
10: Who is it, Leslie?
5: I, I don't know. But you do not know me. I am Arturo Alvarez, the South American pianist. You have heard of me? Well, sure, I've heard of Arturo Alvarez, but I'd hardly expect to find him in...
9: Leslie, humor him.
5: Oh, of course, for a moment I forgot where I was. I've uh, heard of you, Mr. Alvarez. Is there anything I can do for you? Will you help me? I must get out of this place. Oh, sure. I came here several days ago to be treated for a mild nervous trouble. And now, now they won't let me go.
2: I am being held a prisoner... And tonight I am scheduled to give a concert at Carnegie Hall, and I must get out of here. Please, will you help me?
9: Ah, number 10 out of the ward again,
2: I see. How many times must I tell you that that is strictly against the rules? I was doing nothing wrong. I was only telling this gentleman that I must be at Carnegie Hall for my concert. Yes, yes, yes. I'm sure the gentleman was very interested. Uh, Cato. Yes, doctor? Uh, Cato, you will escort number 10
9: back to the ward and see to it that he doesn't wander back into the waiting room.
10: No, no, I will not
2: be
5: taken back to the ward. Help me. Oh, no. Help me, oh. no. Oh. No, oh. no. Oh.
9: I will, no, no. Uh, how strongly he believes in his delusion! strange fantasy of a diseased mind. Seriously believes that he's Arturo
5: Alvarez. He was telling me. Oh, I'm very sorry. I'm afraid I haven't been very cordial. Uh, Won't you sit down? Is there anything I can do for you? Well, you see, Dr. Morrissey invited us up for the weekend. Oh, yes, of course. He told me he was expecting you.
10: Does he know we're here?
5: I'm afraid not. Uh, Dr. Morrissey was unexpectedly called away on an
3: emergency case, and I'm in charge of the sanitarium until he returns.
10: Well, do you have any idea about when that'll be?
3: Well, it's very hard to say. However, he asked me to ask you to wait
5: and see to it that you're made comfortable. Uh, let me see now. Your name is. Uh... Winton. Leslie Winton. And uh, this is my wife, Claire. Ah, yes. Uh, permit me to introduce myself. I'm Dr. Kettler,
9: Dr. Morrissey's assistant. What can I do for you, a bite of food or a drink, perhaps? I don't think so.
10: There's nothing in the world I want so much as an
5: aspirin. Aspirin? Yes, Doctor, she's had a headache that's been troubling her for days. It's terribly annoying. I can
3: well imagine, annoying and interesting. That is to a man of my profession, of course. But if you will step into the inner office, I think I can offer you something a
5: good deal more effective.
10: Oh, I hate to trouble you. No
5: trouble at all. I find these things most intriguing.
10: Should I, Leslie?
5: I think you might as well. Morrissey won't be back for a long time, by the looks of things. You're quite right, Mr. Winton. Dr. Morrissey won't be back for a long, long time.
10: Well, then, uh, which way do I go? Right
3: this way, the large door on your left.
10: You won't mind waiting alone, will you, darling?
3: Oh, Mr. Winton shall make himself comfortable. There are cigarettes in the box, whiskey in the liquor cabinet, and a radio behind the ferns there.
5: I'm sure he'll be quite happy. Uh, After you, Mrs. Winton.
10: If Dr. Morrissey
5: comes in, let me know. I hope you'll find everything you want, sir. Thanks. Uh, by the way, doctor. Yes? You said you had something better than aspirin. I didn't know there was anything better than aspirin for
9: a headache. I have something, Mr. Winton. Really? It is a process which I invented myself. One that never fails. A little treatment,
3: very effective and highly complicated, called the Kettler Method.
9: Please, make yourself at home, Mr. Winton. (laughs) Leslie sat there, alone in the big waiting room for a while. Then creeps began setting in and he thought to himself, maybe I'll have that drink after all. He rose and went over to the liquor cabinet that Kettler had pointed out to him and opened it.
5: Well, there's nothing in here but
9: books. Yes, books. Books that were so thick with dust that it was clear they'd been there for months. Hmm. No drink for Leslie. Maybe a cigarette. Kettler said the box was full. He picked it up and started opening it.
5: Why, it isn't even a cigarette box. The darn thing's a bookend.
9: Yes, that's just what it was. Leslie began to think it was a tough job making himself at home in that waiting room. then the idea occurred to him. Maybe the radio works. He went over to the radio then, turned it on, and...
3: We are sorry to announce that the program scheduled for this time from Carnegie Hall has been canceled due to the mysterious disappearance of Arturo Alvarez, the noted South American pianist. Mr. Alvarez was known to be suffering from a minor nervous disorder and was last seen departing on a short trip to Colston in upstate
5: New... Alvarez? That guy is Alvarez. What's going on here? Claire, Claire. Locked. Dr. Kessler, open this door. Open it, do you hear me? Miss Claire. Quinton. Oh, you, tell him to open up. Tell him,
9: tell him. Doctor, send me. Tell you, young lady headache bad, very bad. What do you mean? He operate.
2: Operate?
9: He say take long time. He say, you not wait. You come back tomorrow.
5: Operate? No, no! Kettler! Kettler! Claire, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Of course she can hear you, Mr. Winton. The operating table is just inside the door. Bring her out here. Let her go, I tell you, Kettler.
2: But I find that an operation is indicated, Mr. Winton. I forbid you to touch her. You
5: forbid? You! I'm in charge here. No one forbids me. Do you understand? You're insane. You're... If you lay your hands on her, I'll kill you. So help me, I'll kill you.
3: Very well, Mr. Winton. You do not wish me to operate. That's all there is to it. I would scarcely force my services upon you. However, the girl's condition is quite
5: serious, and I... <coughs> ah, good work. Good work, Cato, my boy. A master masterstroke. Ah, do you still
2: forbid me, Mr. Winton? Do you? Do you? Oh, you don't answer. Good, good. Take him to the cellar, and lodge him there with his friend, mm. Dr. Morrissey. Good. They should have a good deal to talk over in the still hours of the night while I cure the young lady's headache
5: unmolested.
3: You've got to pull yourself together, Leslie.
2: Now try Try to think.
3: Cato brought you down a few moments ago. You've been hit in the head. Can you remember?
5: Yes. I was talking to Kettler, trying to make him let Claire go. Claire? Oh, good Lord, Morrissey. Where is she? He's got her. Kettler? She's on that operating table up there. We've got to do something. We've got to do something. Well,
3: I'm afraid there's not much we can do. I've been here for three days and nights. What happened? Ah, It was a nightmare come to life. I'd had Kettler in my office for treatment. Yeah? He was off on a wild tangent, insisting that I had a man whom he had killed hidden down here in the cellar. That I and the rest of the medical profession had kidnapped him off the operating table with his head still swathed. He thinks I've been keeping this venom from him all along, even though I've known that just one side
5: of him would cure his mental disorders. He hates me with every fiber of his twisted brain. He's a dangerous case, Leslie. He'll... He'll kill Claire? He may. There's
3: a slim chance he won't. What's that? Well, all the surgical instruments are locked away. It's possible they may not be able to find
5: them. is Isn't there any way we can get out of here?
3: Well, wouldn't I have used it? Where does that corridor lead to? To the staircase that goes to the first floor. Well, not a chance. It comes out in the operating room and they keep that door locked as tight as a drum. Besides, Kettler still has the pistol he took from my
5: nurse. I've got to think, I've got to. My head hurts so I can't make good sense. Let's say that. I think they gave you a nasty cut. Oh, it doesn't matter. Say, Doc. Yes? What was his name? Who? The guy Kettler thought you were keeping from him—the one he killed, Benham, Led Benham. Why? Was he a young fellow? Yes, a uh, rather tall, slender chap. Say, Doc, hmm? do you have any bandages down here? What bandages? Why, yes, I think so. They're they're stored down here. Enough to bandage my whole head, face, and everything. Why? I might have a chance of getting through that door up there.
10: Let me go now. Oh, let me go. Uh, Leslie, Leslie.
9: You will be better soon, much better. I will take the pain away, Mrs. Winton. Cato, have you found the surgical case? Not found yet. I look. Cato, look. Find it. We must not keep Mrs. Winton in agony. Find it, I say. She'll have to create some order in this place. I want my instruments at
2: hand on a moment's notice.
4: Please, let me go. Oh, let me go.
3: You shall be
9: well again, my dear. I promise you, you shall Doctor, be. here tall, white cabinet behind curtain. That's it. Open it. Open it, Kato. Locked. Locked,
2: Doctor. Smash it open. Open it. I do. You'll find scalpels on the top tray. Bring them to me.
9: Yes, Doctor. It's here, Doctor. See, knives. Good, sharp knives. Kato find. He find them. Excellent. How they glitter. Ah, it is good to feel the knife in my hand again. Put the others right beside my pistol here on the table.
0: Please. Oh, please.
3: There, there, my girl. I shall expend all my genius on you. You shall be well
7: again. No. No. No.
9: Now to work. What was that? Who's there?
5: Dr. Kettler. Who is it? I have found my way back to you. Open the door, Dr. Kettler. I've come back again. Who are you? You remember? You remember Led Dunham? Kato! Kato!
9: Yes, Doctor.
5: The door! The door! Let him in! He's come back! Let him uh, in, I yes, say! Doctor. Oh, let me hold him here! He's come back! He's come back, Kato! Dr. Kepler, Venom. Venom, I knew it. I knew it all along. You're alive. You're living. Yes, living. Yes,
2: yes Dr. Kepler.
5: You. Just as they took you from the table. Yes. They took me away before the operation was complete. Finish it now. Hurry. I can't live much longer. I'm about to die. No, no. Tato! Get Benham out of the table. Girl,
9: girl on table. Take her off. Take her out of here. Put her in the uh, cellar. Let Benham take her place. At once, you hear? Yes, Doctor. Keto.
5: No. Do.
10: No. I won't be put in the cellar. I won't. It
5: might be well if you went down into the cellar, you know. It's nice down there. You'll see old friends, perhaps. Old friends who need help. Yes, lady. Hurry. Hurry, I
9: say. Yes, Doctor. Come.
6: I'm coming.
9: Are you all right, Benham? We can <laughs>
6: Cato! Cato!
2: Cato, close door. No, stop wasting time. Leave the door alone. Help me. Help me get Benham on the table. Yes,
9: Doctor. Cato, do. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Now, let him carefully. Yeah. Uh, good. Good. Oh. Now, lie back. Lie back. Gently. Gently. All right. Careful now. Uh. Here we are. Cato, give me the knife. Yes, doctor. Take off the bandages. Hmm. From the top, Cato. Sure. That's correct. That's proper procedure. Yeah. Yeah, now that's. Hmm. I thought his hair was blonde, not black.
3: Well. Perhaps I've forgotten. I've forgotten so many things that... There was a scar on his forehead. I, I clearly remember a scar on his forehead. Maybe. Maybe I imagine that, too.
5: Perhaps it was someone else with brown eyes. Benham. Benham, didn't you have blue eyes?
2: I know they were blue. And your nose. Your nose was thinner and longer.
9: Yes. Yes. And your lips? You had thick lips. That I know. Bandages off, Doctor. Dr.
2: Kettler, there's a trick here. You You're not Benham, you're not Benham. You're that young Mr.
5: Winter. Dr. Kettler, listen to me. Cheat! Cheat! So you wanted me to finish you, did you? Yes, Mr. Winton. I will. I will. Hold him, Cato. Uh, Hold him. See the knife, Mr. Winton? Watch it glisten as it comes down, 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 and it into... <coughs> <laughs> Don't doubt that he's Arturo too for when you hear him play the piano, do you? That's a marvelous old instrument you have, Doc. It was my mother's. This old house has been in the family for generations.
10: Mm. Who'd ever thought we'd be alive to sit in your house and listen to somebody play a concerto?
5: We wouldn't have been. At least I wouldn't have been if you hadn't snatched that revolver off the table right out from under Kettler's nose before they threw you into the cellar. That was the lifesaver. Made the weekend perfect. (laughs) I'm afraid it wasn't very restful. Hereafter, I'm spending all weekends in a cozy little corner under the L. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, It was worse for Claire than anybody. She had
3: a dreadful time.
10: It was ghastly, all right. Horrible. But you know something? What? My headache. It's completely gone. (laughs)
9: So ends The Kettler Method, the tale of a memorable weekend and a long-awaited dead man who didn't return after all. This was tonight's story of Suspense. Suspense is produced by William Spear. John Dietz was our director this evening. Tonight's radio drama was written by Peter Barry and scored by Bernard Herman. Roger DeCobin was Dr. Kettler, John Gibson, Leslie Winton, and Gloria Stewart played Claire Winton. Others in the cast were Guy Rep, Martha Faulkner, Winfield Honey, and Ralph Smiley. Next week at this time, Columbia will bring you another selected story from the world's great literature of thrills. Another study in suspense. This is Barry Kroger, and this is the Columbia Broadcasting System.
1: Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Life of Riley, followed by Richard Diamond. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer
0: Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.